This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams and I'm joined by David Hughes. Dave, tell us how you are and feel free to tell us where you buy your gigs. <laughs> uh, should we uh, provide some context on that one? Uh, <laughs> yeah, go on. Yeah, no. I, so Josh sent me a message a day or two ago saying, uh, where did the comment come from, Josh? It was YouTube and the, YouTube. This, this, this is evidence that we do read the comments. Yeah. Well, apparently someone had asked the way they get me glasses on YouTube. Um, <laughs> thanks. Uh, a place called Ace and Tate. If you're UK-based, then there's one in Manchester, Liverpool. Uh, I think there's some in London as well. If you're not, I don't know. I don't know if uh, I don't know if they're an international brand, but they are very good. Uh, they do some nice, nice frames. So if you're looking for a new pair, check them out. Uh, that's where I got them. And, and on top of that, Josh, I'm doing all right. Thanks, mate. <laughs> good. <laughs> Um, yeah, <laughs> buying details out of the way early, uh, we'll get to Liverpool. So, um, yeah. yeah, since we last spoke, um, Liverpool had a tricky week ahead. You know, we had Brighton away, we had Arsenal away. Didn't really know how things would go. And we'll, we'll come out the other end, um, four goals up and zero goals conceded. So, really impressive. Liverpool really in form. Now a point behind Manchester City at the top of the table. I'm sure we'll get get Dave's comments on that and have a little chat about that one. But I think first, considering we're now recording on the Thursday morning, um, it makes sense probably to have a quick look back at last night. Obviously, Liverpool played Arsenal. Um, it was a difficult game. Liverpool come out the opposite end two 0 obviously. But yeah, thoughts on the game, Dave? What do you, what do you reckon? Yeah, it was a, certainly in the first half. I thought it was a very competitive game. Arsenal did really well um, in the middle areas. Obviously, obviously, the underlying numbers point out that they didn't create a ton of big chances in either half, really. Uh, but beyond that, maybe maybe the chance creation wasn't there. But I thought it was definitely a competitive game. You know, Liverpool looked. The, I don't think Liverpool struggled, but you could tell that. Um, you know, it, they, they were putting a lot into the match. But really interesting game, um, and then. The first goal always felt crucial, and I thought the minute Liverpool got it, I expected them to, to to hold on for the win. Obviously, getting the second in a short period after was was kind of the icing on the cake, and just pretty much showed up the uh, the three points. But in short, I'd say tough game, and and one that they should be very proud that they won. Yeah, I was impressed with Arsenal. I think that they're certainly improving. And I think just by getting certain players on the pitch, they make it difficult for you in a tactical sense. Specifically, the two wide players. Obviously, you've got uh, you've got Saka and you've got Martinelli on either flank. The two of them offer similar threats, really, to, to what Mane and Salah have offered over the years in terms of... You, you're so terrified to, to give them space to run into that I think Trent and Robertson kind of stayed back more than more than usual. Um didn't attack as much through our fullbacks as we would usually do. Um and I think a lot of that stems from Saka and Martinelli. Robertson flagged it in his post match interview after the game. Um and Liverpool found a way through which we will get to. But in terms of Trent and Robertson, I know you have some thoughts on Trent specifically, Dave and um 
I think Robertson for me as well was was super disciplined during the game. I thought he was really on his toes and even little subtle things like Arsenal took a um, quick free kick on the edge of the box at one point. Robertson was the only man switched onto it. Uh, little things like that. He he let the ball go to Allison. Just you know, put the put the danger away very easily. But uh, throughout the game, I thought Robertson was perfect, and he ended up getting an assist. Obviously, so we got the balance right between attack and defence. But in terms of Trent, obviously early in the game, he got he did get grilled by uh, Martin Elliott at times, and Klopp had some post match thoughts. I think Gary Neville during the game said he Martin Elliott got him on toast. <laughs> um, but what are your thoughts on that? One? Uh, look. <laughs> I think we we don't need to to rewrite what actually happened. We all saw the game, uh, and at times he did struggle against Martinelli. Uh, but I think the case I'd make is, you know, Mart- Martinelli's a top top talent. You know, it, it takes something special for for Klopp to praise you, um, praise opposition players. You know, he a lot of he, he tends to save a lot of his praise for for his own players, like great managers do, but. You know, we spoke really highly of him uh, following the Carabao Cup tie, I think it was, in January. Um, and he was really impressive again. And I think he's at a stage now where he, he, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say he's one of the better attacking players in the Premier League. You know, he's still only 20, so he's probably going to develop even further to being, you know, maybe one of the best attackers in, in, in Europe. So I, I just don't think it's it's fair uh, to drunk to to kind of judge Trent from a defensive perspective or let the narratives be formed on the back of coming up against the what is you know an elite young attacker. It, it was a, I don't think it was as one sided as maybe Neville was making it out either. You touched on it just now. I, I thought he did do quite well. Klopp said the same in the post match. He said he thought he dealt with them really well. Um, he defended against them. What what is a tough uh, opponent? And as as we say, yeah, there, there was times where the for me come off second best. But I just don't think you form your narratives on the players' defensive capabilities when you're coming up against these top top players, um, especially when it's, you know one v ones are often in transition where you're not really defense isn't really settled. It's really difficult to defend in those moments. I think that's always been the issue for. For Trent, to be honest, uh, his, his, his defensive capabilities have always been scrutinised. But what people forget is he's, he's very rarely defending in like a, a rested, settled defensive position. He's often always on the turn when it's big balls being turned over quickly. Teams try and break out and counter-attack fast. And it's always more difficult to defend in those moments. So that's why I think he's looked a little bit more vulnerable than perhaps he is. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, Martinelli's incredibly difficult player to defend against, especially one v one. And I think, you know, I think it's difficult to judge fullbacks defending one v one, especially against these really tricky wide players. You can go both ways really fast, you can go in behind, you can come to feet. Um, he, is, he is really t- tricky players to defend against, and usually Trent would get support um, just because of the, the the nature of Liverpool's system. It allows Trent to basically plays a quarterback for Liverpool and Henderson does a lot of the, the right-back role in terms of traditionally, you know, like defensively and things like that. But because a lot of the moments were in transition, Henderson was caught a little bit up the field. Trent was 1v1. It's tricky. Um, I think over the course of the game, I think he grew into the battle. But I think early on, uh, I think Martin had the beating of him. But as I said, gradually, maybe Trent's, Trent's physicality, whatever it was, but Trent just grew into the game, I thought, defensively. And, Ends up dealing with them fairly well, um, but there's only a certain level you can deal with these players, and 
um, considering the level of them. I mean, both of them have been linked with Liverpool in in terms of Martinelli and Saka. Martinelli's 20, Saka is 21, is he? Uh, He's 21 or 22. I think think you're right. I think it might be 21. Yeah. I mean, both of them have been linked with Liverpool. Do you see anything in that? Or do you think, considering Arsenal's resurgence, that's probably a goner? Well, I think what would definitely be the case is it'd be it'd be tough to prize him away from Arsenal because Saka's you know, twenty. Said, what sorry? Oh, Saka's 20? twenty. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like he's been around a little while now, Saka. Yeah, but, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, look, that's a testament straight away again to to Arsenal, isn't it? You know, the two really top, top young uh wide attackers who can kind of play different roles. Um, you know, they've got a great side. I think uh, it'll be interesting to see how Arsenal do next year. You know, with a, a maybe with a better start, because um, they look a good side at the moment since the turn of the year. They've been very good, but uh, to go back to to your question, I don't know. I was thinking about this afterwards because I, I knew you know the nature of our role. I suspected that somebody would probably come to one of us, uh, or we go to them and you know make, talk about them from a Liverpool perspective. Makes sense after they played last night. And I was trying to think about would real what was that? Me, I, yeah. I I got asked. Yeah, well there you go. And <laughs> I, I tried to um, I tried to look at it and be like, you know, would realistically Liverpool actually make a move? I I think you know, given that given how high as specifically Martinelli's ceiling could be, and the way it is kind of profile, he ticks a lot of boxes from a Liverpool perspective. I could see that move happening if if there was a possibility to get it done, you know, if 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 there was an offer that would suit both parties that could be put on the table, then yeah, you know, I think he could be a Liverpool player. I know Liverpool have just brought in Diaz. Um, maybe you could make a case in some ways similar uh, styles of play, but I think an exception could be made if you could, if you could get them to bring him in because even if you had to pay a lot of money. He's only 20. And if you look at the, the level he's performing at now at 20 years old, I think where could he be in four or five years, which would still be before traditional prime years then? Um, I think that there's definitely something that could happen there and, and it'll be one to watch. Yeah, I, I think Martinelli's an absolute top player. I think he's going to be really, really good. Um, if you, As you said, if you can picture what he might be like in five years' time, he's going to reach a serious level. And I think... When it comes to Liverpool, I personally can't see it. Um, and a lot of that is because of Diaz. Um, Liverpool, at the moment at least, have Mane and Diaz for that left-sided forward role. Um, I have a bit more hope um, in Saka on the opposite flank because Saka's left-footed. Uh, and, you know, the, the future of Mo Salah and things like that remains to be seen at the minute. If Salah was to leave at any point, Liverpool don't have a single left-footed forward. And Saka's contract runs out in two years. Martinelli runs out in two years, but I think Arsenal have an extra option to add uh, a fair year onto that. So I don't think Liverpool will land either of them, to be honest. But I think out of the two, although I think Martinelli's the better fit, I think there's probably more of a chance of Saka, but both, both on both sides is very, very slim. One thing I yeah. would like one thing I would like to see Liverpool do, though, that we, we haven't really done over the years... But that Manchester United used to be brilliant around the Ferguson is th- those real power plays where you go to another top side in your league and take one of their best players. Mm-hmm. That's something Liverpool, since Liverpool have emerged as this top force, 
they haven't really done. Um, obviously, we have to the likes of, you know, Southampton and teams like this. But in terms of doing it to a club like Arsenal, it, it's really putting your weight about when you do things like that. Manchester City did it when he first emerged. Chelsea did it. You know, you got Ashley Cole and players like that. Uh, Man, United, Man United did it with Ferguson. You know, Dimitar Berbatov and players like this. Uh, Michael Carrick. But Liverpool oh, never Van really Pierce, do it. He was the big one, wasn't it? Van Pierce, he was a big one, yeah. But Liverpool never really do it. And that, that's something that I think... Um, I don't know, maybe it's an ego thing, but it it, it, it make it, it's a real power play, I think, when it, from a club perspective. Yeah, I think the closest we've seen Liverpool do that is yeah, a good example with the Diaz, where a player is looking set to go one way and then they've kind of stepped in, declared their interest and just took that player, you know, basically scuppered their transfer plans. I think that's definitely a power play and that was a big one in January. You know, you can imagine how disheartening that was for Tottenham, big boost to Liverpool. But yeah, and maybe it's just the financial aspects that stopped Liverpool doing that. Um, and they've, they've always tried to be a bit smart and I always felt like that tactic was um, a way of basically hoovering up talent. So keeping your opponent weaker, even if it wasn't necessarily strengthening your first 11. Chelsea, it was definitely the case for the while in kind of late noughties. They were just seen to, any player that had a good campaign somewhere in the Premier League, they'd end up buying them. Even you now I'm thinking of players like Steve Sidwell, uh, Scott Parker, you know, <laughs> these, these, these players who were probably never going to be um, Chelsea stars, but I think they just signed them just almost, as you say, like principle, just to, to belittle the opposition and, and, and kind of not let someone else sign. Sean Wright Phillips was another really good example. Um, well, I, th- so, I think uh, I think John Terry said once that he he and Lampard used to have meetings or or whatever with Abramovich, I think, on like his yacht and stuff like that, and they would just openly talk about who from the Premier League they could poach, and Gerard was one of them, fully enough. Um, but obviously they didn't get him, thankfully. Um, but I do definitely think you're right there in terms of Chelsea, a big part of Chelsea's transfer approach back in the day. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, so yeah, maybe that will come, but it just feels very against the FSG model, doesn't it? Spending yeah, unnecessary yeah. money on players who won't definitely improve the eleven. So I don't yeah. know whether we'll ever see it. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Yeah, I mean, just looking at the Liverpool squad now, I suppose the closest we've had to it is probably Ox. Uh, we got Oxley Chamberlain from Arsenal. Did have to pay about thirty-five million for him. Uh, and he had to think like a year left on his deal. That was where it happened. But that's probably the closest we've got. We obviously we also got Milner on a free transfer from Man City. Maybe you can say that one. Um, but back to the Arsenal game anyway. Obviously, Trent and Robertson were relatively nullified due to the threat of Saka Martinelli. And I think it was very apt, very fitting. And I'm writing a piece on this at the moment that the opening goal was scored by Jota, who was fed through the middle. By Thiago, and I think that is exactly. I think we saw exactly what Thiago was bought for in that moment, because um, Liverpool obviously emerged as a top side by relying on the offensive potential of the fullbacks. Um, but it's it was always going to get to a point where teams try to stop that. Liverpool are going to need answers around that, and Thiago is was a very a very capable solution for that in my opinion when when, when he was bought, and in this game. Um, Trent and Robertson were, were getting kind of closed down. And even in the goal, that 
that Thiago set up. You can see Cedric is already preoccupied with, with closing down Robertson. As a result, a gap, tiny gap opens up for Jota. And Thiago has the you know the execution to to play him in and register an assist. Yeah, that that that's kind of the takeaway I had specifically from that goal because you know traditionally when you when you're thinking without the ball, uh, tactically it's always that you're meant to be fairly compact through the middle of the pitch and no balls go go through the middle of you. You know that's that's always that's coaching one on one really. Um, team without the ball, you remain compact and you don't let a team play through the lines in the kind of middle dangerous areas. But if you look at, you you, you point out Cedric, I I was looking at Saka as well. Um, it's almost like they're already starting to take a few steps to the right, anticipating the ball going out to Robertson and, you know, basically looking to press that as quick as possible. But by doing that, that gap opens through the middle. And previously, we, we haven't really seen at Liverpool the type of player who could deliver uh, a ball like Thiago does through the lines. You know, Liverpool got good passes in the middle, like like to Henderson, but I think someone who can do it really quickly and accurately is what they were missing, which is obviously why they've signed Thiago. Um, and now you we talk about it many times. You got got almost like several different ways of overcoming the issues. You know, you can still go out to the wing backs where they're really dangerous, but if someone tries to stop you doing that, you can now actually penetrate through the middle. Uh, so it's a it's a headache for the team to defend against, but obviously really good for, for Liverpool. Yeah, I actually don't think it was it was his best game. I think he was I think he was to a good level, but uh, obviously nearly set up an assist for Arsenal. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that's another good three baller. <laughs> yeah, um, but I think I think he generally played well. But I, I do think this was a this was a game that kind of epitomised why Liverpool bought him in a way and, and the solutions that he offers Liverpool compared to the the tactical issues we might face when our fullbacks are, are, are closed down or when our fullbacks are a bit threatened going the opposite way by top opponents. Um, another player I thought played well after entering as a substitute was Roberto Firmino. Mm. Um, I think I, I tweeted after the game, uh, during the game actually, that I always think when I'm watching Liverpool and he's not playing, any time the ball feels like it's not sticking up front, and things feel a bit, little bit messy. First touches seem a little bit off. Passes seem a little bit off. Whatever it is, and Liverpool can't sustain attacks. My first thought is always to 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 bring on Firmino, um, and the reason for that is just because he's he, he's so inclined to to keep the ball despite his position as like the most advanced attacker in the team, and that's quite a rare thing. A lot of Liverpool's attackers, if you think of Diaz, Salah, Mane, Jota. They're all so open to risks that they, they do lose the ball a lot. And Firmino, despite being the most advanced forward at Liverpool in terms of position, just has a natural tendency to keep the ball. Um and I think that's that's so valuable in those areas when you've when you've got a man up your backside and you've got you've got to have, you know, three sixty awareness of what's going on around you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean the thing is we you, you say obviously the most advanced player. On the pitch, but that that's on paper, isn't it? And the way he plays out, it's often fairly different. He's the way he drops in. I still think he's he's the absolute best at dropping into those pockets. Saw that again yesterday. I know, uh, I know, they were different players were trying to do that in his place before he come on the pitch. But I think he's just so so clever at doing it. So clever that kind of finding that no man's land in between the, the defense and midfield, where both sets don't really know who goes, who tracks him. 
how to cut off the ball getting to him. And he's just really good at dropping in those positions. And even when he doesn't, you know, he, he'll collect it a couple of times, but even when he doesn't, he just, he, he created a different picture uh, across the pitch, across the attack. Um, and other openings for, for, for players to receive the ball in, in maybe better areas. Just a massive headache. And he, um, he definitely changed the game for the better last night, I thought. Well, he, he did exactly the same against Inter Milan. In, in both games, the Inter Milan game away and Arsenal away, Liverpool reached roughly the hour mark and just couldn't sustain attacks, couldn't really advance into the final third particularly easily. And in both games, Firmino was introduced. And as I said, just his ability to keep the ball in tight spaces, his ability to um, control the ball and, and keep possession and just make the ball stick in the dangerous areas of the pitch is just such a skill. And mm. he's... You know, I remember seeing a quote from Harvey Elliott when Harvey Elliott was first kind of emerging at Liverpool and he asked Harvey Elliott who's the best player in Liverpool's trainer. And he, he said Firmino. And the reason he said Firmino is because you just can't get the ball off him. Um, and I think he's that kind of player. Obviously not particularly fast, not much of a threat in behind. But when it comes to just making possession stick in the most difficult places on the pitch to make possession stick, Firmino's just a master of it. Um, so I think in any games like that where Liverpool are finding it sticky, Liverpool can't sustain attacks. Firmino's just such an obvious answer. Um, and obviously his his contract runs out at the end of next season. I'd be surprised, to be honest, if he's kept, uh, considering his age and stuff like that. Maybe he'll just go on running uh, one-year deals like, like Milner does type thing. Um, but if Liverpool you know, continue to replace him with these forwards type players who are threats from behind, obviously that benefits Liverpool in a way of having so many dangerous players who are going to score goals. But I do think that that 10, that that Bobby-type figure will will be missed one day when he's when he's not there anymore because, he's as I said, he's so valuable, so different. Uh, someone on Twitter asked me, you know, who, who's the most com- comparable player to Firmino out there that Liverpool could buy? And I said, Liverpool c- couldn't buy these players. But in my opinion, the two probably most comparable I've seen out there are probably Kai Havertz, who's at Chelsea. And probably Joe Felix, who's at uh, Atletico Madrid. But other than that, there's very few clones out there. Well, I, originally when Jota came in, everyone kind of said he he, he could do that role, and he's he's probably going to be the. Well, originally people thought he'd be a man a replacement. Then you know he could be Firmino. But haven't watched him now a little bit longer, Josh. Uh, obviously, he's coming up to two seasons at the club. How do you feel about that being a direct replacement? Can you? Are you now thinking that maybe that just because he's he's just such a hard profile to replace for me now, isn't he? Yeah, I I do think Jota is the replacement. I think he's going to be the Liverpool's central player moving forward in the in the front three. But in terms of doing what Bobby does, I don't think he's naturally inclined to do it. I think he's more of a threat in behind than a than a player who comes to feet. And when he does do it, I think he's. He's shown himself to be decent at doing it. He's particularly good at, against Atalanta, I remember, in the Champions League when we won 5 yeah. 0, I think, away from home. But. Is that the game he got a hat trick in? Yeah, he got a hat trick yeah. in that, yeah. So I think he, I think as that central player, he will no doubt score more often than Firmino. But in terms of his link play, his first touch, his awareness of what's going on around him, I don't think he's on the same level as Bobby in those departments. And those departments are quite, quite important, important for that false nine type player so I think if Josh is going to start playing there 
moving forward. I think if he's going to be Liverpool's future as the centre of the front three, I don't think it will be as a false nine. I think he will play as a centre forward who, you know, sporadically uh, drops in between the lines, basically. Mm. What about you? Yeah, similar. So, I, I just think the problem, I, I think he can do that role really well, Jota. Um, but uh, what we're talking about now is being a kind of direct replacement. And I just, for the reasons we've just said, I think he, he maybe just doesn't have that same kind of aptness to do it. You know, is Firmino technically is just phenomenal, isn't he? You know, his touch is unbelievable. He's got great turns, great feet. Uh, I mean, we talked about Firmino for a few minutes here and we haven't even touched on that goal. I mean, that, that finish was unbelievable. Like, unbelievable. Uh, I, I'm not trying to oversell it, but it's just such a great finish. Really tight angle, probably the only place he could have put it. So delicate. You know, I, I don't think many players score that one. I really don't. Um, and that sums him up. So I just think all that makes him really difficult to replace. And it's not an easy task for Jota. So yeah, he can play that role. I just don't think he can be the direct replacement. But then, as you said, there's not many profiles you could. I'm actually really glad that you flagged his finish, actually, because I, was, I, I meant to mention that myself, because the way in which he finishes it, it's so subtle. And he, he almost finishes it like it's a pass. He finishes it like he's feeding Salah or like he's feeding Mane. Just that very subtle touch around the corner. And that he's so good at that with his first touch when it comes to over the years when Liverpool were more of a transition team. He was so good at initiating those transitions by by playing a pass or feeding one of his forwards with his first touch rather than taking a touch and then feeding his forwards. So in terms of that that first touch and, and being so subtle and delicate the way he does it, it it's it, he's probably the only the only forward at Liverpool who could have finished that 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 like that if you know what I mean. I think Liverpool's other forwards attempt to finish that in a different way if you know what I mean. Sal- Salah therefore blasts it, doesn't he? <laughs> uh, which, yeah. I don't know, I'm not getting his back look at his goal record, <laughs> but I just mean, he, he, just to risk get your point, he finishes it differently, doesn't he? Yeah, and he definitely uses his left foot as well, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. But that's this is the thing. If you look, if people go back and watch it now, look how look how awkward the angle is. You know, he's all, he's ahead of the penalty spot at very least, I'm sure he is. So it's a really difficult one to score that. Um I just think it definitely deserves a lot of credit. It was a great goal. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Yeah, obviously Liverpool now one point behind Manchester City. Liverpool play next against Watford, so we can take the lead. Uh, things are getting very interesting, Dave. Um, yeah. There's now nine games left. Both teams, Liverpool, have to go away to the Etihad. According to 5.38, it's still, not heavily, but it's still leaning in City's favour. 5.38 currently have it at 62% on for Manchester City, 37% for Liverpool, and nobody else has got any any hope. So uh, is that roughly how you'd have it? I, I mean, I watched the uh, the post-game uh, in, on Sky yesterday, and Paul Mason was very, very defiant that uh, it's still very much Manchester City's to lose, and... To be honest, I don't really disagree with him, but I, I mean, he, he was a bit firm at night with being in the mo- in the moment. But um, I think he he probably is right. Like, yeah, I think uh, so. From a Liverpool perspective, first and foremost, 
they look fantastic. You know, they they really do look as good as they, they were when they won the league in nineteen twenty. Like there's there's not a team I, I think take City out the equation. There's no one else who you think could stop them at the moment. You know, because Arsenal were in great form, a really good side, and they've still won that game two 0 away from home. You know, so that kind of points points out where Liverpool are. So theoretically, I could see Liverpool winning those other eight games. Um, the the meeting at the Etihad's really tough to predict. The only thing I would say is I don't know if you managed to catch the game on Monday where the Man City game. Um, yeah, and I know they drop points, but I do think on another day they win that game very comfortably. You know, they were they did kind of miss some really big chances. I think they hit the woodwork twice. Um, it felt like they were just maybe a little bit unfortunate, and just to play devil's advocate, I'm not saying this, but. You could argue yesterday uh, if Ramsdale does better for Jota's shot, uh, if the rebound doesn't bounce into Robertson's path, it maybe goes out for a throw. You know, they're the kind of very small margins that can settle these games. So the point I'm leading on to is that it wouldn't surprise me if City also went on a run and won the next eight games. So it all really comes down to the Etihad game, in my opinion, and I, I think when Liverpool and City meet, it's it's so hard to predict. Yeah. Um yeah, and I think I, I mostly agree there, to be honest. Um I do I do think though that the, the the City game against Palace, I did watch the game and I agree with everything you've just said. The only thing I'd say though is although they they had more than enough chances to score and probably should have won the game 2 0, like I'll get up the expected goals now while I'm talking. Um, I do think that them them missing those chances is a product of their recruitment in a way because they they have made a conscious decision to not sign a player who naturally finishes moves. They've they've made a conscious decision to not sign a player who essentially puts the ball in the net. Guardiola has a team of number tens, a team of playmakers, and as a result of that, he's able to get ridiculous control over matches. And I don't think I, I actually think if he was to put a striker in that team, there's an argument that he could be worse, to be honest. Uh, and I think next season, if they if they were to go and get a top striker next season, even if it was someone like Haaland, I wouldn't be surprised if it took them about half a season to actually get to grips with these changes. Mm-hmm. So I don't think City are suffering that season. That would be a really good take to tweet out and then get hammered <laughs> for, and then you know in about yeah. six months' time, kind of give it give it a little little uh, quote tweet. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, we can save this clip, I suppose. Yeah, um, but if I end up being wrong, just burn the clip. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I think I, I think City have made this conscious decision, and as a result of that, you, you then do have, you have reliance on players who aren't natural finishers, who aren't naturally poachers, natural naturally clinical to finish these moves, and sometimes that won't happen. Like in the game, the expected goals, City posted 2.3 and Palace posted 0.8. 2.3 is, is enough to win a game, really, isn't it? I mean, that's mm. that's comfortable. And and I think someone said, I think it might have been Gary Neville, if Liverpool's forwards get presented with those same shots, Liverpool win a game. And I'd probably, I'd probably agree with them. Whether Liverpool generate those same shots, I don't know. But when it comes to being a bit more clinical and find the net, I do think Liverpool are better at that. Um and I think that stems from from the recruitment of both teams. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, um 
I mean, Salah, okay, there's penalties in there, but you, you only have to look at the top scorers. Salah, 20 goals. And then Cities, considering how good they are, um, their top scorer is joint. It's uh, Mares and Sterling on 10. So what what that probably indicates, and I could probably do it having a look as I'm talking, but you know they share the goals a lot more around the team, which probably no one would disagree with. But in terms of having those elite finishes, uh, maybe they lack, lack more of them. Well, it's not maybe, they, they, they do. Obviously, they scored fewer goals this season. They haven't got that kind of, um, they haven't got their, their salad equivalent, really. Um, and I guess that does harm them. But I still think, I, I still don't think it would be enough to me. I, look, I might get my eye wiped, then they, they might drop a few more points. But I expect a reaction from them. And I, I do believe that both these teams could easily just go and win everything from for the rest of the season now and just decide it at the Etihad. Uh, what's your, I know it's when well, I will preview close to the time, but what's your thoughts on that game at the moment? Um, I think if it was to be the next game, I'd be as confident as you, as you could probably be to go 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 into the Etihad, yeah. simply because I do think that even though I don't think Liverpool have been that much better than City in the past few weeks, I do think that players, specifically English players, they do kind of feed into the, the narrative and they do, they do pay attention to the narrative of the papers and the media and things like that. And the narrative after the game yesterday especially was very much Liverpool are hot on City's tails, City are going to collapse. And, and it was all that sort of stuff. And I think after Liverpool's win against Arsenal, Liverpool do look very, very hungry at the minute, very, very on form. City, not as much, even though I don't think there's that much difference between performance-wise. Um, and I do, I've said before that I do think stylistically, Liverpool are as perfectly suited as you can possibly be to beat City because it's all about control. It's all about nullifying counter-attacks. It's all about patience. It's all about scoring first. And I think against Liverpool, there's only so much control you can have. And when it comes to stopping counter-attacks and getting done on the break, no team are better suited. Um, Klopp just has a way of... I mean, I looked the other week for a piece. Out of all the coaches Guardiola's faced in his career, more than six times. He is record against Klopp is the worst in terms of points per match. Mm. I think he averages about, I think it was 1.4 points per match against Klopp over like over 18 matches or something, whatever it's been. Um, and I think there's a reason behind that. I do think it's because Klopp's got great players, obviously. But I do think there's a stylistic thing there. And, um, you know, we will get to it when it comes around. It's going to be a, a, a brilliant game, obviously, but... Ideally, I think Liverpool would go into that needing a draw rather than the win. Um, but we'll see. Uh, so, go on. so I'm just going to see what's left before that in terms of fixtures. So it's it's actually only Watford league-wise, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Well, Watford. what I was going to say was around the City game, right? After the City game, Liverpool have Villa away and City have Wolves away. And in between those Liverpool, the, the, the dates where both teams clash and then we face Villa and the Wolves, around that, we've got Champions League games as well. So you've got Champions League quarterfinals, I think it is. Um, Liverpool, Champions League quarterfinal, Wolves. And we've mm. got Champions League quarterfinal, City, Champions League quarterfinal, Villa away. So I think that, that two-week period could really define 
the seasons for both both Liverpool and City really, or, or it might just be a case of both teams just continue to keep winning. You know, it's it's difficult, but looking the, at the, uh, the a little plot twist, sorry, is obviously should Liverpool win this weekend against Forest, which you assume they will. Uh, that would be an FA Cup semi-final that weekend instead. And I think City is still in it as well, aren't they? Yeah. So that means at some point, further down the line, there's probably going to be a midweek game. So it could be Liverpool going to Villa Park midweek, um, which I don't know. It just feels a little bit tough for that, doesn't it? I yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, City, City, I think there was something in City's game against Palace getting played on a Monday night. Yeah. Uh, that, felt, that felt a bit, you know, that's how, that sort of thing. But mm. it's going to be interesting anyway. We're going to follow with until the end, obviously, see how we go on that. But uh, it's, it's looking really interesting. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Before we round up for the show, we do have, I suppose, a bit more of a negative. Um, talking point to touch on and that is Salah in terms of his contract obviously since we last spoke uh, Klopp has came out and made one or two comments and his agent has came out with laughing emojis <laughs> and shortly after that yeah <laughs> I know super professional uh, and shortly after that uh, Fabrizio Romano was briefed uh, and he, he basically put out there that the contract offer that was put to Salah in December, I think it was, was rejected and nothing has changed since. So on the back of that, I sent out a newsletter on Wednesday and I've been waiting to send out this newsletter because it's, it's, it's a sentence of what people, I can't be bothered with people getting on me back and things like that. But I I, I now don't think he's going to sign, I'll be honest. Uh, what about you? Same. Yeah, I... Uh... I thought there was a chance it could have happened, but I don't expect Liverpool to put the the offer that he wants on the table. I'll be honest as well, and I think this this could maybe upset some of the Liverpool fans. But you know what? I don't care. Um, <laughs> I really don't. So yeah. But um, I actually think there's a part of him that would ha- would man leaving. To be honest, and I know we I, I do believe that he, he he loves Liverpool. I think he's had a great time. He loves the fans. Loves being a part of it, but. I suspect there's probably an element of him that would think, you know, he's it would be probably his last big move. He could go anywhere that could afford him. Uh, and I think he'd probably like the idea of maybe yeah, doing doing so um, rather than finishing his career at Liverpool or finishing his peak at Liverpool. Just just because I, I, I understand the arguments of... Or I understand maybe his agent is the serpent in the, uh, in the, the kind of... The, the story, you know, he's the one who's saying you deserve more money. It should be you should be worth this. You, you don't accept anything less. But the reality is, if you wanted to stay, you, you find a way to stay. That that's just my opinion. You know, you don't you don't just let days, weeks, and months pass as this problem kind of escalates without nipping it in the bud. If you 100 percent still want to be at that football club, it's it, that's just how I see it. I know it's a very complex matter. I appreciate it. I know it sounds like I'm dumbing it down, simplifying it, but on the other hand, that's the reality of the situation. So, yeah, I I, I understand that um, finances may be a big factor, but I also think if uh, if he really wanted to to stay at the club, then he would. Um, so I'm not saying he doesn't dislike the field. You know, he clearly loves it. I believe it when he says that he you know he, he loves the fans, all that. But at the end of the day, Josh, I think if he wanted to 100 stay, he stays, mate. 
Yeah, um, I, I, I think um, that Salah's camp, I think they've massively, I, they seem to be overestimating for me the the power of their position. I don't think they're in much of a power position at all. Um, Liverpool are in as good of a place as they could possibly be, competing on all four fronts, have one of the two best coaches in the world and have a system that is just, completely tailor-made for wide forwards. It's it's the system for wide forwards. Um, and there's a fair few wide forwards out there. There's less wide forwards that are left-footed and fast like Sally. But there's some of them, and one of them could be getting relegated in a couple of months uh, in Rafinha. So I do think it's a, it's a delicate one. But the only way in which... Salah has power in this in this negotiation is is if he keeps performing to a ridiculous level, in my opinion. And he was performing to a ridiculous level. Liverpool had the pressure turned up a little bit earlier in the season. I still think he's obviously performing to a very high level, but I don't think he's I mean the past couple of games, I don't think he's um the level of what he was showcasing before Christmas, maybe. Looks a bit more um, human. Looks a bit more human, yeah, but still while also being quite ridiculous, obviously. But um yeah, I think it's I think it's a sensitive one, considering he's going to be th- his contract doesn't expire until twenty twenty three. By then he'll be thirty one. So, I actually I do think it's I'd rather him stay, and I do think he um, he does look to have the physical condition to keep playing to a to a good level till beyond the age of thirty five. In my opinion, I think as as technology is advancing and things like that, sports science and all this, I do think footballers are getting to a point where. I think in 10 years' time or something like that, I think the average age for a footballer to finish his career will be closer to 40, as opposed to now, when it's closer to, you know, 33 or something like that. Um, so I do think Sal will keep playing and keep playing to a high level. But I think beyond the age of 31, I think Liverpool will probably have experienced his peak. So I don't know. It's, it's, it is a massive loss, but I don't think it will be as as much of a, a, a real... If you see what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think another p- thing on your your PowerPoint as well is maybe ten years ago, he would have been in an even better position. You know, when you got Real Madrid, Barcelona, this kind of super clubs, you had, you had the finances to just buy these players. But you kind of feel like the environment's so much different now. You know, I, I, I'm, Real Madrid wouldn't probably spend that 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 amount of money to get them. I mean, I suppose it's different if he runs his contract down. Um, <laughs> But you know, if it was terms of like a transfer, they haven't really got the money, have they, to to, to buy him now? Does, and then it, it, the wages that he wants, it'll be interesting to see who's um, who's willing to pay that. I suppose PSG is the obvious one, but is PSG appealing? You know, you, Neymar's gone there, nothing's really changed. Messi's gone there, nothing's really changed. Mbappe's there, and you, you can see he's quite clearly keen to leave. He wants to go to to you know probably Madrid. So it's a, it's just a very strange environment on the big European scene for the superstars. Well, th- this is why I don't think he's got much power at all because you know Barcelona have got financial issues and I don't I don't think they would they would go for Salah because of that. Uh, I don't think Bayern Munich do this type of deal. No. Real Madrid seem quite obviously very interested in Kylian Mbappe and Erling Haaland. Uh, I don't think Salah would have it in him to move to another English club and play against Liverpool. Um, and Juventus, I mean, have just got knocked out Champions League last night, 3-0 by Villarreal, currently fourth in Serie A. Um, 
So if he wants to take a step down and go to Juventus, it's fine. Um, and you've got PSG. And PSG are you know, competing in League One. They've only got to one Champions League final since their big investments and things. Um, so I really don't think Salah is in that much of a position to really threaten Liverpool, if you, if you like. You know, to, to to really for Liverpool to panic and, and to worry about losing and to to whatever. I mean, one question I've got for you is I've thought this I've thought about this a few times. Whenever people seem really concerned about Salah leaving and how it will impact Liverpool and things like that, Liverpool are on course for ninety points in the Premier League this season with Salah. So this season, Dave, if you'd have removed Salah from the team at the very start of the season. And you'd have replaced Salah with everything else remaining the same with Rafinha or Jared Bowen. How much do you think Liverpool's points total is impacted? If Liverpool are on course to finish with 90 points and you remove Salah at the start of the season, you replace him with Rafinha or Bowen, what does that do to Liverpool's points total? <sighs> um... Obviously, I'm here, but you're on the spot here. No, no, no. That's what it's about, isn't it? It's a podcast. Um, I do. I, I still think if you think of the form he's been in, easier to forget what he was like early in the year. I think mm. it does negatively impact the points return. Um, in terms of a figure, I don't know. You know, I'd have to have a look at what goals and how they prove decisive in specific games. Do you, it, go on. I was going to say, do you think then, without putting a figure on it, do you think it takes Liverpool from title contenders to not title contenders, or do you think Liverpool are still at, at accumulating enough points to deliver the title? You know what I mean. What What I would say is difficult to, to answer this season. Um, I think it could potentially have a negative impact because if you think about, he scored twenty goals, you know, and there's been some really good goals in there as well. Some, some, some goal. I'm trying. I think specifically the. Uh, the goal against Watford uh, was phenomenal, really. And I think only him in that form could do that. Um, if there's all the similar goals you can think of that were decisive in games, then the answer is yes. City. But, well, City, yeah. City goal, prime example. But if it was to throw it forward and say, that scenario, take Salah out, put like a Rafinha in, uh, and do I think Liverpool could still be title contenders? Then the answer is yes, I do. I think they could. So maybe specifically at stage of this this season, Salah is a key reason why they are competing for the title. Uh, and I do think he would have been uh, at a negative had he not been in the squad this season because of some of the goals he scored. But throwing it forward, I don't think Liverpool's uh, ability to compete for the title is dependent on whether Mo Salah plays or doesn't play. I agree with you. I do think that if you were to replace Salah in the team with Bowen or Rafinha, I do think Liverpool would lose points. I do think Liverpool would would drop from their their points total. But without wanting to downplay Salah in any way, because he has had a ridiculous season, he's the player of the season in my opinion. But if you look at his goals this season, he's on 15 goals if you remove penalties. And just behind him is Jota on 13 goals. And Jota has played about 500 minutes less. So, on a pay 90 basis, Joss is actually scoring more often than Salah is. Um, and I think a lot of Joss's product and improvement over the past few years has stemmed from his position in Liverpool's 4-3-3 system. You know, I mentioned before that it's the 
place to be for wide forwards and field. Joss has proven that. Diaz is going to prove that, obviously. And I think if you put Bowen in that system, if you put Rafinha in that system, they would also naturally get some form of boost because every other player seems to. Um, so I do think that, although Salah's having a ridiculous season, I do think he's, I mean, he's, he scored two goals more than Jota, having played 500 minutes more than him, and he scored three goals more than Manic. Mm. Um, oh, they've played roughly the same amount of minutes, to be fair to him. But I do think he's extremely valuable. I do think he's, he, he should be he should be retained if possible. But if he is asking for too much and he's kind of overdoing it and Liverpool can't really keep him or whatever, I don't think the club should should overly force it. And I, I am in Klopp's uh, camp as opposed to Salah's in, in, in this decision because I think it's I, I, I think it's going to drag on a little bit, to be honest. Yeah, I think, I mean, just to finish, I, I, I think this would be more of a headache if Salah was 26. Um, yeah, most of you. Like I think it'd be a different story, but not this age. Yeah, this is the, the amount he's requesting now would have been a bit more of a question if he was requesting this when he was negotiating his last contract. But to be negotiating this now, thirty-one years old, it's obviously a massive move. I'm not sure what will happen with it, but uh, I actually don't think Liverpool will be. I don't think Liverpool will suffer that much. Yeah, on the back of it, I think Liverpool will still be fine because all, all of the other key pieces of the puzzle, Trent, Van Dijk, Alisson, Fabinho, Robertson, Diaz now, Jota, they're, they're all set, they're all, they're all staying at Liverpool. So mm-hmm. if you don't change anything, you've got one player missing and you've replaced that player with a similar player who's similar level-ish, maybe a little bit lower, similar profile on terms of left-footed, quick, forward. Be interesting to see to see what the changes if it, if it does end up happening, but we leave it there anyway. Um, <laughs> bit of a grim note to end on, I suppose. But uh, thanks for joining us, Dave. Yeah, thank you, mate. Cheers, everyone. Yeah, and we'll be back next week. So thanks for tuning in, and see you then. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red Channel.